What is happening, everyone? Welcome to episode 163 of your favorite podcast, The Grand Eye Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mahaley, and I am here with some harsh reality about contest prep today. I think inside you guys are going to learn a lot. Man, there are some items I unleash on. Oops, sorry in advance. As always, Grand Eye Podcast brought to you by Revive Summons, brought to you by Raw Summons. Use code Mahaley at checkout. Leave us five star rating and review, and you will be entered to win our weekly $100 Amazon gift card giveaway. Episode 163, it is about to go down. I'll see you inside. Competition prep season is officially underway. Um, I know we are kicking off the season April 24th. Um, I have four uh, that are doing the Phil Heath show down here in Texas, which is a pretty big show. Um, And then I have one up in Pittsburgh uh, doing the Pittsburgh Pro-Am. Ashley Adams up there. Women's physique. Um, And then down here, I have Ty Ryan and uh, bodybuilding, potentially classic physique as well. Um, And then I have uh, Megan, uh, Abby Torres, Kelly Igo, all battling out for that bikini title all in different classes so that was going to be a lot of fun um, but with competition prep season happening that means there's a lot of bullshit happening too and you guys come here to get what's real and I have a harsh reality check based on a lot of things that I've seen um, already starting already starting I know I've said it before so many times dude some of the worst drug advice I've ever seen like I think the issue um with bodybuilding, online coaching, expanding is how poor the drug advice is, um, how poor the the knowledge in pharmacology is. Um, and honestly, it's just, it's, you know, people not really doing their due diligence actually understand what they're talking about. They just kind of talk. Um, there's a few things that are the harsh reality. And you can't do anything to manipulate or change these variables. The harsh reality is most of the people who turn professional each year are enhanced. On the men's side, I would say about 99%. On the women's side, say about 85 to to 90%. And really that number is watered down greatly um, based off of... The bikini division, you can definitely turn pro. Um, you know, as long as you have, as long as you have, you know, the the, the genetic capability within your structure, within how your body shapes, <clears throat> within. Um, you know, how your body's able to look at a certain body fat percentage. As long as you have uh, the genetic component on your side, which you, you definitely don't have to be a freak, um, you know, a genetic freak for um, the bikini division. As long as you have the genetics on your side, you can definitely turn pro in the bikini division. Um, I have two pro bikini girls right now on my roster who are both natural. Um, neither of them turned pro with me. They, they, they both started with me um, after they turned pro. Um, but... You know, they're both natural. They are making great progress. Um, The reality is a majority of the people turning pro are enhanced. And anyone who sugarcoats this is just sugarcoating reality to try to kind of push their own marketing endeavors Um, because that is reality. And when you get to the more muscular divisions, in the figure division, um, you, you need to either, one, put in a ton of sweat equity Uh, I'm talking about a long time um, under the bar and dieting, uh, living the bodybuilding lifestyle. If you're going to do it naturally um, and you need to have a certain genetic component there as well, um, or you just have a very good genetic component and you do work hard. But the reality is 
um, you know, nine out of every 10 at minimum figure girls turning pro are going to be enhanced in the women's physique division. It's like 9.9 out of 10. Um, you know, the, the more muscular that it gets, um, the more enhancements and things are going to be used. I say this because I want to be real and I want you guys to have an understanding of where you're at as a competitor. And especially as you work through the ranks of, um, you know, growing as a competitor from the regional, uh, you know, to the national level circuit and then hopefully to the professional circuit, if that's something that's a goal of yours. Um, you know, I, I was asked in a Q&A about four or five weeks ago, um, what's the hardest part for a natural, uh, a natural com uh, female competitor against enhanced competitors? Well, the hardest part is being natural because the reality is enhanced competitor is going to beat you a majority of the time, right? Now, this isn't to tell you, oh, hop on drugs, go on drugs. No, no, no. You need to be ready for it. You need to be a prime candidate for it. You need to have a really, 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 really good fucking coach to lead you the right way down the pharmacological route, okay? You can't just have someone who's like, oh, you know, just take a little bit of Anivar. Like an Anivar-only cycle is a shit cycle. And if you've done an Anivar-only cycle and you had amazing results from it, one of two things happened. One, it wasn't Anivar. Or two, you're a complete hyper-responder to anabolics, period. No one who's just middle of the road like a normal responder to anabolics just has this Anivar cycle that is just ungodly, right? Anivar is a small part to a whole. Like you get closer to the whole picture by adding something like Terenable. I personally love a Primabolin and Terenable cycle. Very easy to control the sides. Um, you, the Primabolin gives you great aesthetic effects, gives you high uh, nitrogen, gives you high muscle protein synthesizing capabilities, great recovery, uh, a, a general feel-good feeling, uh, increased libido, um, increased sleep, you know, all of those things. And then Turinable comes a performance side. So Turinable is not going to be a massive um, aesthetic anabolic, but it's going to push your performance, okay? And it's going to give you the PRs in the gym help you push that strength further the deeper in prep you get and the lower energy gets it's going to help you maintain beating that logbook and so the terrenable on top of the primabolin or on top of the anivar kind of allows for a full spectrum anabolic profile to be created and met right um, something like low dose wind straws good alongside terrenable but i would only recommend for a female running that close to show and guys you can do this too you know, guys look at things like Anivar Terenable, and they're like, oh, those are girl steroids. No, they're fucking not. Those are fantastic steroids for men to use as well. You just have to understand the right application for them. I mean, Anivar is one of the only anabolics that actually increases lipolytic function, and it increases the capability of which you're able to, to, to drop body fat, right? Like, that's pretty fucking important. So make sure you're understanding what's real, and then, of course, what's not real. Now, there are some genetic fucking freaks. Someone like AJ, Ashley Jones, who is my training partner and one of my assistant coaches. Our goal is top five at the Olympia, and she's natural. She outworks you, likely. I see her every day. I mean, she, no one's ever pushed me the way AJ does. She outworks you. She's been at it longer. She's perfect with her protocols, and she's a genetic fucking freak. Right, So she's able to achieve things that a majority of people aren't able to achieve. And the reality is you have to be able to look at where you are at, 
what if your last what is your last one year of perfect adherence looks like? And if you only have a year of perfect adher- adherence, or at least like six months of perfect adherence, then you can't really answer this question. What's the rate of progress look like? If you go six fucking months with perfect adherence, there is massive differences in your physiques. I mean massive. It's almost impossible not to have drastic differences. If you were only 90% here this last six months, you shouldn't even talk about steroids, to be real with you. Because the reality is you're only going to get 90% of that, out of that cycle. And why are we wasting it? Why are we wasting your endocrine system functioning for just 90% return? That's not a good investment, given the fact that you could have long-term health consequences here. And that's something else I want to talk about. People are like, oh my God, steroids are so unhealthy. Steroids are so unhealthy. I'm going to sit here and act like steroids are some health godsend. But holy fucking shit, like coaches who are talking about how unhealthy steroids are, you think, it, you think that because you don't know how to fucking run them. No one who knows how to fucking run steroids is like, oh my God, these are so unhealthy. No, you're just realist. Everyone who understands pharmacology understands, hey, there's much better things for your health than fucking steroids, right? Much better fucking things. The reality is, everyone will go stand in line for a fucking COVID vaccine that doesn't have any fucking backing. We are the research subjects. I know some of you are like, oh, you know, it's been researched for the past 20, 30 years for XYZ. Dude, we are the research subjects. I mean, there's no there, there's there's pregnant women getting vaccines, and some of the vaccines available don't even have any applicable research on any pregnancy and any any pregnant women. So you'll stand in line to take the vaccine, but oh my god, antibox steroids are so unhealthy for you, even though they've been. We know exactly what each of them can do over 50, 60, 70, 80 fucking years of research and human trials. All you have to do is just have an understanding. Understand what the research says. Understand things to look out for. Now, bring it over to the practical side. What's the practical side of antibiotics? How do you learn about the practical side of antibiotics? Well, there's great resources like William Llewellyn's handbook, the Grower and I podcast, <laughs> educated coaches, Q&As. There's really good places to learn about things, but people don't want to actually put in the effort to learn to best serve their clients. And that's why, oh, antibiotic steroids are unhealthy. Not if you know how to recover somebody. Not if you know how to interpret blood work. Not if you understand why a cycle leaves during certain anabolic cycles and why a cycle will come back after. Not if you're able to reverse those things. It's Again, it's, I'm not saying it's fucking healthy. But holy shit, man. Like, people are acting like this is going to fucking kill you. Like, it's some, it's some death sentence. And it's just not that. There's a lot of people, I mean, fuck, people utilize antibiotic steroids are much healthier in general population, that's for sure. So y'all aren't worried about the fact that you're eating your, you're just wrecking your digestive system with all the artificials that we know long term is going to cause a very ill effect on how well our digestive systems can uh, handle food, how well we can have proper motility, how well we can have proper nutrient absorption absorption because you're just abusing it with artificials or you're abusing it with voluminous meals to not be hungry during prep. But like, it's a big deal to manipulate your endocrine system to function better. To me, it seems a little weird. I saw on a coach's Q&A the other day that he would never advise a female take testosterone. So to me, this was quite bizarre. 
another prominent coach would never advise. No, I'm sorry. He didn't say never advise. He said um, something, something along the lines of like not recommending MPP for women. Okay, let's talk about these two. Let's talk about these two. Testosterone is naturally occurring in the female body, right? Same as it is the male body. Female's body makes about two to four milligrams of testosterone a week. So you want to take that into consideration when running an anabolic cycle. Okay. What you are replacing that two to four milligrams a week with matters. It means something. That's why you can't just come out the gates running 80 milligrams of Primable in a week and be like, oh, fuck. You have an enlarged clit and you have acne. Well, of course you do. You fucking, you you ramped it up too fast. You, you didn't taper up very slow. You didn't really give the body a chance to show you if it actually can handle it, right? You got just very simple pharmacology. Started at a low dose, like five milligrams every other day. Honestly, I mean, 90% of my girls utilizing Primo's on 10 milligrams every other day. If you can't fucking see results on 10 milligrams every other day, you have so many other issues at play here. It's about 30 milligrams a week. You have real primo, that's a big dose. Back to testosterone. Testosterone is bioavailable in the human body. So if you want to double your weekly testosterone, you'll inject about eight milligrams of testosterone a week. I highly recommend women utilizing test probe so that you can better best control the sides there. Um, I like you utilizing shorter esters as much as possible for women just for that side effect control. But you had an Eight milligrams test probe, you know, you just doubled your your weekly uh, testosterone value. That is bioavailable to the human body. So we're fine with, you know, the Anivars and Primabolins and experiment with a little bit of DECA and some Equipoise and some Trenable, which aren't really naturally occurring things in the in the body, but something that's naturally occurring and bioavailable, bioidentical, not, not I, I didn't mean to say bioavailable. Sorry, a little bit of prep brain. Bioidentical. This is like 100 layers deeper than bioavailable. Something bioidentical to the human body. No, 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 don't, don't ever take that. I would heavily advise against that. Why? Why? It's so much easier to control and manipulate than literally any other steroid. So about MPP. That's converted to nandrolone in the body. Nandrolone is something that's naturally occurring in, in, in females, especially during um, like ovulation or pregnancy. Nandrolone is something that's naturally occurring, right? So it's bio-identical to the body. Your body understands how to utilize it, mobilize it, put it into action. It understands what to do when it's there. It doesn't have to transcribe readings or there's not this massive negative feedback loop. Every single thing you do in the body has a feedback loop, but there's not really a negative or positive feedback loop that's going to throw you for a spin. Because something naturally occurring in the body, you start at a low dose, you titrate your way up until you, you know, get to the, the, the applicable dosage that you don't have side effects on. And then you run it for the duration of what your cycle is going to be. You come off, you recover, you get back to full endocrine functioning, and then you do it again. I, th I think people just overthink shit. I think that's the issue. People overthink shit, but also we've been told so many things and like force fed so many things that no one ever looks outside for an answer. Like MPP is a harsh steroid. How? How's a steroid inherently harsh? The dosage makes it harsh. If a woman injects one milligram of Trimbolone a week, they're not really going to see anything, right? I would highly advise not utilizing Trimbolone as a female, by the way. <laughs> highly, highly, highly advise.
But if you inject one milligram a week, nothing's going to happen, nothing good or bad, because the poison is not in the drug, the poison is the dosage. You, if you inject 100 milligrams of Trimble in a week, you are going to have huge issues. You're going to have a lot of issues, guaranteed. Okay? The poison is in the dose. It's never, ever in the actual drug. Testosterone is bioidentical. Nandrolone is bioidentical. These things are helpful. They help you in a very easy to recover way. Okay, let's talk about um, so about clenbuterol because contest prep season means clenbuterol abuse in full effect. You guys know I'm not a big fan of clenbuterol. It is nasty. It's a nasty drug. Nasty what it does internally. The hand tremors suck. The cramps suck. The anxiety sucks. If you get anxiety on it, not everybody does. The heart racing sucks. The terrible sleep sucks. And, you know, you can look at it and be like, well, you know, it's half-life is so short. That's fine. It's half-life is short. I have run Clembuter on hundreds of people and, you know, a massive majority of them have sleep issues and anxiety issues on Clembuterol. Well, that prep is already inherently so stressful, right? So isn't all of prep about minimizing stress? But this is something else that's just been spoon-fed. Clenbuterol, clenbuterol. It's okay. It's safe. It's easy. Really? Has a lot of heart interaction for something I would consider safe. The issue is most people don't understand pharmacology. You just throw a clenbuterol out there. Or coaches know better. But they know clenbuterol is an easy sell because everyone's heard of it and everyone's so comfortable with it. When the reality is, and you guys all know this, I'm very outspoken about this. If someone needs aid in fat burning, my first go-to is DMP, period. Side effects are so easy to control. There's not really any negative health effects of DMP. It's just going to make you a little warm. It doesn't even, it doesn't elevate internal body temperature at all. It's just going to make you warm because your body's turning over energy so fast and the energy has to escape through pores or it causes increase in breathing because energy fat loss occurs through pores and fat loss occurs through um, through, through your breathing. Did you guys know that? Probably did. I actually talked about this on Instagram a while back during the fat loss phase thing, I went, uh, a uh, segment that I did. But that's how you, that's how you get, expend or get rid of your energy. Is through, number one, through your pores. Number two, through just breathing in and out, right? So, because you're burning so much energy, because DMP shuts down the Krebs cycle, makes it very inefficient for the Krebs cycle to function. So, it pulls in a bunch of energy from stored energy sources, from your stored fat, from your stored glycogen. It pulls in these energy sources into mitochondria that need fed, and it turns over the energy so fast, the energy has to escape, as soon as you come off, everything returns back to normal. It doesn't affect your sleep unless you have night sweats during your sleep. I recommend um, um, taking it like in the morning with meal one. So sweating should be done by night. If you get too warm on it, like too warm where it inhibits your, your daily life, just go to every other day dosing. You get, you'll still be able to reach a saturation point. 200 milligrams every other day, you know, majority of people are going to be, I mean, I've never had someone do 200 milligrams every other day that was like, oh my God, it's too hot. I can't handle this, right? 
But there's been people who, you know, aren't able to handle a cap a day, 200, 250 milligrams. That absolutely happens. But it's much stronger than Clin. It's much safer than Clin. It has no organ interaction. And it's much easier to manipulate than Clin. And then Clin, you have to constantly, you have to titrate the dose up to a point for the same effect to continue to occur with DMP. You don't have to. Right? So don't fucking abuse clenbuterol. That shit is bad. It's nasty drug. I, I truly, I hate clenbuterol. I use it in divisions that have to get absolutely inside out peeled, like women's physique. I use it sometimes in figure if someone falls behind a little bit. Um, I use it in bikini if that's just what someone's comfortable with, but we won't go over 40 micrograms. Um, I use it for a couple weeks in bodybuilding. The hard part with bodybuilding uh, contest preps is there's such a fine time. Uh, so I, I like front loading the prep with DMP so we can kind of get in shape pretty quickly here. And then we can bridge and with, with uh, clenbuterol if needed. Uh, where you go like 20 mics, 40 mics, and depending on the size of the person, maybe up to 60, but really prefer not going over 60. Um, and that's for a very short-term run. Like that's for a few days. But then, you know, you start drugs like Trimbalone or um, Orals. Now, I, I don't really like mixing overlapping DMP with those. Um, trend, trend makes you sweat. DMP makes you sweat. So, you, like, you don't want to be a sweaty fucking mess, right? The, the reality is you're going to sweat. Um, and it's also, you have to understand where'd you start from? Like, uh, you know, I, I have a girl about to compete in women's physique. Like, dude, she started a little, she's, she started a little higher body fat than I'd like her to, but she had to be up there to accrue the muscle tissue that she now has for her prep. Right. So she started up there. We pushed pretty hard. We've utilized DMP, T3, clenbuterol through, uh, you know, different times throughout her prep. And now we're bringing the final touches in. So we push her pretty hard, but dude, it's made her prep so much more seamless because when you're able to manipulate these, uh, these things on top of the diet, on top of the training, on top of the cardio, it's like full, full scale manipulation of all these variables. It's really easy to just keep the body moving forward, right? We, we never really reach plateaus or stall points, right? Let's talk a little bit about dieting. You're going to be really hungry. You're in a contest prep phase. You're going to be really, really, really hungry. You guys all know I'm a huge proponent of carb cycling. I love carb cycling. I love having high days. love having low days. I love crushing cardio on low days as hard as possible. I like keeping the high days cardio free for as long as possible. Um, just really allow that the, those nutrients to go to recovery, to stress mitigation, to the training session for the day. Um, I love doing those things because usually I'm going to have high days either one, uh, I try to get one on a rest day, or two, I'm going to have more like polar leg days or something like large muscle groups. But you're going to have to diet hard to get in shape. I mean, really, really, really hard. You're going to be really hungry. I had someone DM me and was like, yo, any tips on combating hunger during prep? No. Don't even try to combat hunger during prep. And let me tell you why I say that. The more you prep, the more you realize, one, when I'm feeling hungry, I'm looking pretty good. And when I don't feel hungry in prep, I don't look very good. Two, you can just kind of assume, well, shit, you know, I'm really hungry. Uh, your body doesn't really like being hungry. You're still 
you know, um, um, you still have output. Maybe you're going for a walk, or you're doing your cardio when you're hungry, you're training when you're hungry, you know, whatever it is when you're hungry. So your body's mobilizing whatever energy it can while you're hungry. Your protein intake's really high. If you utilize anabolics, your nitrogen's really high, so you're probably not mobilizing protein, right? Because that nitrogen is protecting amino acids from being mobilized for energy. If you're pretty hungry, you're probably a little flat and depleted, so you probably don't have a ton of glycogen, and your body to be able to mobilize for energy. So what the fuck is left? We're probably mobilizing fatty acids. So you can almost link and assume, hey man, the hunger I get, more fatty acids are being mobilized. That's fucking rewarding. I don't like combating hunger with these voluminous meals, these protein fluffs. No, my team doesn't fucking do that. My team doesn't do protein fluffs. My team doesn't have 500 grams of fucking vegetables in a meal. Why? These things are not good for your digestion. Artificial sweeteners aren't good for your digestion. It's going to cause issues with your, within your bowels and within how your stools are formed and within how your nutrients are partitioned in your body. It's going to cause issues. We have so much data showing this. I mean, anyone who's a coach can see when artificials are prominent in someone's diet, they look worse, they feel worse, and they have worse digestion than when they're just fucking out. Dude, I mean, I try to have my clients have as minimal artificials as possible. And then also, I mean, getting to peak week, which I kind of start 10 days out, no artificials. Just stop. No artificials, no cruciferous veggies. Just keep things fucking simple. Much easier to manipulate everything the more simple everything is. But also, at the end of prep... The less variables you have to change, like say you've been having protein fluff and 500 gram veggies meal and all that stuff, when I had to cut it all out, right? Well, fuck, that's a shit learning curve. And I mean, shit, you might fuck up, honestly. You might fuck up on, on, on the diet during peak week. I mean, I've seen it happen to people. Um, I've seen it happen to people on other teams who, you know, fuck up in peak week because, you know, that stuff's allowed. The food quality isn't monitored near as closely as it is here. Food quality fucking matters, you guys. Food quality matters. I have another hack for you. I have a hunger. Here, here's your hunger hack. You want food to stay higher and cardio stay lower? Train way fucking harder than you are. Train with way more fucking intent than you do right now. Keep that logbook. Beat that logbook. Push yourself to absolute brutal effort every single set of every single session in the gym. Hold yourself to a really high standard. I don't care how hungry you are. I don't care how low energy you are. Fucking tap into it, dude. You're in a training session. What do you have? 10 sets? You have 10 opportunities on this day across this this training session you have 10 sets to get better and improve and separate yourself from your competition you have 10 opportunities today to earn what your competition is not earning right now because you are going harder than them you want to keep food high want to keep cardio low go harder you want to keep food high want to keep cardio low go harder during your cardio if you can if you're reading a book when you're doing cardio, you are not going very hard. If you can have active thought and memory retention while you're doing cardio, you are not going very hard. I want you busting fucking ass, dude. Now, yeah, sure, you know, low intensity steady state, modern intensity steady state, you know, high intensity interval training, all that stuff. Great, cool, great, fine, well. I want you to be in the law book and cardio too. You're my client, you're being the law book and cardio. I'm going to tell you, hey, go to 400 calories. 
All right, day one, 39 minutes. Day two, 36 minutes. Wow, that's a big difference. Day three, 35, 43. Day four, last day of cardio, I got to beat 35, 43. I hit 35, 18. I fucking beat it. I beat the logbook every single time. No shit. I send my check-in and coach is really fucking happy. There's no cardio changes. I'm not dieting harder. Nothing. I Now I just got to beat that 35, 18 or 13, whatever I said. And so you keep improving upon that. You push yourself. All right, we get to a place where we can't really increase the speed anymore. Let's increase the, the, the resistance, push it up too. And then we kind of start that process over, right? Or we might switch a machine, you know, from the elliptical to an arc trainer or to a Stairmaster. Or maybe we even pull it back to like a recumbent bike or something like, right? An echo bike, any of those things. If you do everything with intent and you keep a logbook and you make everything a competition, guess what happens on show day? Well, you've made everything a competition the entire fucking prep. So the time the actual competition shows up, you're ready. You're not really that nervous. Like Everyone has a, an element of nerves when they step on stage. But you know that you've done everything in your power to, to put yourself in the best position to win that show. Because you went so fucking hard. Let's talk about thyroid. Some I see, um, you know, there's certain people that are like, oh my God, I never use, never use T3 and all that stuff during prep. Why? Again, you do, if you don't know how to recover a thyroid, yeah, I'd recommend not doing that. But the reality is you have a severe thyroid downregulation that happens during prep. So just like how we do like hormone replacement therapy with testosterone, why wouldn't we do that with the thyroid? It makes the contest prep healthier and more optimal. So if, if a client wants to go that route and utilize T3, it's perfectly fine. You have to understand how to dose it, right? Start with a low dose and, you know, work your way up. I have a very strict max point on my client's maxes for T3. Very, very, very strict. Women, women won't go over 25. Men won't go over 50. Um, I like keeping women in between 6.25, 12, uh, 12.5. I really like being there. I like keeping my men around 25. I find those as really good places to where it's not prolonging any thyroid issues beyond the contest prep, where it's easy to recover beyond the contest prep. But if you don't understand how to recover a thyroid, yeah, I'd recommend not using thyroid. But it's perfectly fine to make a prep healthier and more optimal, right? So why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we do that? Contest prep season is a time where a lot of people get really confused. It's really confused because there's so much conflicting information. Just know, if it sounds too good to be true or it looks too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. That's why I'm honest with my clients, dude. I'll share my client protocols everywhere. You notice I used to share Megan and talk how she's natural. I don't share Megan and talk about how she's natural anymore. She's not. We're utilizing enhancements to finish out prep. She's probably okay with me sharing that. So I, 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 I don't say it anymore. But we did a, man, we did a, we did 90% of her prep, natural. And now we're just putting on the finishing touches. I don't mind showing you guys how fucking low food people have to go to get in shape. I'm not going to be one of the coaches that just shares the genetically gifted clients to get in shape, you know, on anything, right? Let's snap their fucking fingers. So be real and be realistic in your approach and make sure that your approach just makes sense. Make sure the approach makes sense. 
I wish you the best you're repeating this season. I wish you the absolute best. I wish you nothing but W's unless you're going against my clients. I do wish you L's, but I do wish you a second place L. So there's still validation in that. And I hope that everyone is just able to get through the season with their goals met, with their health intact, and with nothing long-term lingering from one or two shows that they did with a coach who didn't know what the fuck was going on. If you feel like you're in that situation, reach out to us. We'll get you taken care of. Harsh Reality, episode 163. I'll see you next time.